Hello and welcome to the new Traveler's Tales ASMR podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's me, the DM. Hi there. Uh, so you may be wondering what's happening right now. Mm, there have been some changes recently to Traveler's Tales. Mainly that um, <clears throat> I accidentally fried my computer and lost all the episodes of Traveler's Tales that I had previously recorded on my hard drive. Now, that was a lot of episodes, actually. Um, right now, there are about five episodes out, and we had had, like, at least a dozen other episodes that we had recorded and were ready to release. And they're gone now. They're completely lost. Um, there's no way I can get them back. I greatly apologize for this. I really, really wish I could get them back because there was some really fun stuff that happened there. But I can't. I'm really sorry. So, <clears throat> we're not ending the podcast, thankfully. Um, we're not just going to give up there. You've already got a bit of a sneak peek at what's happening in this campaign so far. Uh, introduced to the characters, who they are, uh, and a little bit about mystery, you know? What's happening? So, we currently have uh recorded certain episodes up to the point the party is now level six i should mention <laughs> there was a lot of progression that went on and the party has now reached sixth level they're newly uh sixth level they just reached it in the past session and i am going to give you a description as best i can i'm going to use my the best dm storytelling skills i can to describe to you what has happened so far in this podcast since then. So, um, if you don't mind and you'd just like to skip right ahead, then feel free to skip this episode, honestly. Um, I'll say that there's not a lot of important story stuff that happened. Um, nothing hugely important, no big turning points in the main story of the campaign. You know, mostly the party has just been adventuring, going to places, doing stupid stuff as they usually do. It's There's certainly nothing to be sneezed at. It was still very fun to record, and again, I wish you guys could hear it, but it's not a tragedy if you miss it. You won't miss any huge plot points. You won't miss any important details that will be important to the campaign later on. Those will come soon, but they have not been set in stone yet. So, for those of you who are still here, allow me to begin. So, shortly after the party left those woods with Magistrate, you know, they, after Magistrate said, who wants to take first watch, basically they went through their whole sleeping spiel, and continued on until they eventually found a very small town called Redwood. Now, this town wasn't much more than a few barely standing buildings in sort of a muddy area, populated by maybe two dozen survivors of the world. Uh, the party found out as time went on that the zombie outbreak or the zombies and undead seemed to not be only confined to Grundale. It seemed to have spread much further elsewhere as well. They encountered a lot of undead animals and <clears throat> humanoids and did not see a whole lot of 
living animals and humanoids. So, eventually though, Redwood was uh, the first somewhat bout of civilization, if you want to call it that, that they found. Immediately, of course, Sagor, the human barbarian, as you may remember, started running towards the village at full speed. They saw it uh, about a half mile away uh, when they were standing in sort of a clearing, kind of a meadow, and they saw it off in the distance. Sagor started springing towards it, of course, and Victor, being Sagor's buddy pal, whatever you want to call it, jumped on Sagor's back and rode with him. Sagor obviously not caring at all and still sprinting full speed towards Redwood. Sildan and Gruldriak, the druid and cleric, as you may also know, as well as Magistrate, took a more methodical approach to things, actually walking over, but still trying to keep up with Sagor and Victor so that they wouldn't cause too much trouble before they happened to destroy the town or something like that, stupid. Uh, and basically just jogged behind them, analyzing the town. There didn't seem to be any undead in the town, and it seemed to legitimately be a small little source of civilization. Upon reaching the town, Sagor and Victor discovered what they could find was a church and about two standing buildings, one with armory scratched into the top of the door and the other one unlabeled being a clothing store. Upon getting to the village, a person came out of the church, a young-looking half-elf. He seemed friendly at first, and went out to greet them, and of course he was terrified by Sagor, who immediately wrapped him in this massive bear hug. Not harm, not harmfully, just a big old show of affection. And then Victor, of course being the high-elf stuck-up person he is, started insulting Yadel, calling him half-breed and useless. And so, Sagor pulled Victor off his back and shoved his head into the ground. <laughs> um, the, the rest of the party wasn't even here yet. They were still about a quarter mile away trying to get to the scene. Uh, meanwhile, Yadel was standing here, the half-elf, in complete shock as to what in the world was going on in his small little safe haven. Um, so after that, Victor stood up and fired off a firebolt directly in Sagor's face at point blank. Uh, in return, Sagor rebuked with cutting him with his sword, and the two started fighting in the middle of the village. Might I remind you that this village has shown no hostile tendencies towards them and was supposed to be a safe haven, but of course they had to create unnecessary character conflict and start fighting each other. Yadel at this point was terrified as well as most of the other citizens of the town, and they all took shelter inside the church. The other party members managed to get to the town on time and assess the situation. Uh, Victor and Sagor were fighting for absolutely no reason. <laughs> So, upon getting there, Yadel, the half-elf, sent out <clears throat> uh, the town's only line of defense, which was this one man named Jack, carrying a big axe, you know, big muscular guy. Uh, he went out and at first yelled at everyone to stop fighting, of course, which they didn't listen to, and so he joined in the fray, making it a threesome. Don't take that out of context, I didn't realize how that sounded until I said it. <laughs> but in any case, the three of them fought for a while. Um, there was really nothing that could be done to defuse the fight. The rest of the party tried. 
but really couldn't. There was not much else that they could do. But eventually, uh, Sagor admitted that he was not trying to harm anyone. He was only trying to stop Victor. Victor was being arbitrarily weird and how he was, and then Jack was just trying to stop them. So eventually, Victor was knocked unconscious, Jack and Sagor reconciled with each other, and the town was calmed down. I should mention, I glazed over this part pretty quickly, however, in real time, it took about 45 minutes of our sessions. And the session lasted like two hours total, so <laughs> it was a huge portion, which was completely unnecessary. Uh, but anyways, after that, the party headed inside the church, they tied up Victor, who was still unconscious, and sat down to have a normal conversation with Yadel. Uh, Yadel introduced himself as well as everyone else in the town and basically explained what they were doing there. Yadel had actually come from Grundale. He said he and Jack had met up after running away from it. He mentioned that this being who called himself Azurok one day simply descended from the sky and put a curse on the town. He turned almost all the town's inhabitants into roiling undead and then sent monsters their way, seemingly for no reason, simply just to terrorize them. Yadel, who was fleeing with Jack, didn't know anything else past then. He did know, however, that the zombie infection had somewhat spread since he saw a lot of undead on his travels and he figured that they hadn't really been able to follow him that far, that the virus was just spreading as is, and or the man was who called himself Azarok was just spreading his magic. Jack said that he had to fight a few and that they, you know, they seemed like ordinary zombies, they weren't different than any other. So, after some discussing and some advice, the party decided that they would travel northward to a city called Dale, uh, D-A-L-E, in case you're wondering. It was a bit, it's a bit big, bigger than Redwood, of course, it's one of the few, it was one of the few organized cities remaining in this world of Athopia, and Yadel said that they would probably be able to find some kind of information and or simply seek refuge there while they tried to figure out what was going on. So the party accepted. Uh, Sagor bargained for a horse and was able to take that as well as about 25 pounds of food and water on their journey. However, one monument stood in the way of their journey. About halfway through their trip, they would encounter a massive mountain range known only as the Dragon's Teeth. This mountain range stood imposingly over this sort of seemingly flat land all around it. It just kind of like rose out of nowhere. And the range was less a range and more like this one absolutely massive mountain in the center surrounded by smaller mountains. The party only knew this after they had got there. Uh, but they were still able to scale one of the smaller mountains and make their way into the large one. Unfortunately, at the cost of the horse, who slipped, fell, and died. A very unfortunate death, which was sad. But, <laughs> I'm glazing over this, this is mean. But, nonetheless, their morale lowered at the loss of horse, the party moved on. After finding a way into the large mountain through a set of caves, 
the party was presented with two options. Either follow the cave down straight, where there seemed to be light coming out from the end of the tunnel, or split off to the right, which seemed to spiral upward a bit. The party chose to split off to the right, where they walked for a few minutes until coming to a large wooden door in the wall that read in Dwarvish something along the lines of there be monsters within here. It was a little hard to read for them, so they weren't sure. Actually, Gruuldriak was the only one who could read it. Nobody else could, but the words were a bit scrambled as well as rubbed off, but <clears throat> they were still somewhat there. So upon entering, the party was presented with the classic dungeon filled with an array, for lack of a better word, filled with an array of monsters from giant spiders to animated armor to a horrible mass of teeth and skin and eyes only known as a gibbering mouther to just tons of terrible creatures meant to destroy and eat and consume and kill adventurers. However, through a few thick and thin, they were able to make their way through the dungeon until getting to the end of the dungeon where they found this sort of path, so to speak, a very small little area carved out that slid downwards into a much larger room. Uh, this larger room was not another dungeon, however it did hold a creature within. As the party entered the room, those with dark vision, so everyone except for Sagor, was able to discern that there was a massive earthworm in this room. In the center of this room, it was leaping out of the ground it had been digging through. However, the earthworm was completely petrified, covered in stone from the inside and out and not moving, simply standing there in this massive dark room imposing over the adventurers, waiting to strike at any moment, but seemingly still. The party noticed that there was a key hanging on one of the mandibles of this purple worm, and through some pretty good dexterity checks, managed to get the key. Afterwards, they searched the wall for a door and eventually found a small little stone keyhole in the wall, where they were able to unlock it and find a path that led out of the mountain. However, they were still in the middle of the mountain, which meant that the path led to the edge and the side of the mountain, which was a 200-foot sheer drop of rock and, and dirt. So they obviously couldn't get down. It seemed as though they had met a dead end until they heard distant footsteps. And in the distance, they saw this massive humanoid-looking creature, probably at least 200 feet tall, this sort of thin, uh, pale greenish-gray skinned giant wearing nothing but a large loincloth with long hair and long brown hair and a beard. Um, it noticed their presence and turned to walk towards them, seemingly curious. Its footsteps were almost like a single earthquake in and of itself. Once reaching the party, it spoke to them, asking them who they were and what they were trying to do. When they asked for assistance, the giant thought for a moment, 
and then said, if you fix, or, ugh, sorry, if you respond to my riddle correctly, I'll help you. The riddle was this, what breaks rocks, but has no hammer, fells trees, but has no axe, gives life, but holds no child, takes life, but has no sword, what is it? The answer was life, of course. Er, no, it wasn't life. It was time. My apologies. I don't know my own campaign. I'm a very good DM, as you can see. But, <laughs> anyways, the, the answer was time. And after a few miscalculated guesses, the party was able to discern the answer. The giant held out his hand while the party stepped into it and helped them down to the ground safely. Before leaving, the giant said that his name was Grey, the Mountain Guardian, and that if the party ever needed help in these mountains, he, they could always call upon him and he would come. With that, the giant bid them farewell, and they headed through the smaller mountain valleys. As they traveled through these valleys, they were eventually met with another big cave. This cave was about half submerged in water, the party seemed to be in the clear as they traversed through the cave until Victor somehow rolled a six on his stealth check and kicked a big rock across the room, which awoke a nearby cyclops, eager for a meal. It rushed them immediately, wishing to beat them down with its club and shove them into its greedy mouth. They were actually doing pretty well at killing it until a random blow from behind it struck it down. When they realized what happened, a person was standing behind this cyclops, a human named Rika, a female human carrying an axe. She had entered through the cave after hearing some screams and decided to steal the kill from the party, much to Sagor's dismay. She introduced herself and offered the party a bit of refuge at her nearby tribe. The party accepted. They were led into Rika's tribe, a small little clearing in between the mountains, with some forests nearby, mostly just a few tents and some beds here and there was the main focus of the tribe. And the party was offered respite for the night, where they would leave in the morning. Rika was also able to direct them in the direction of Dale. Overnight, however, Gruuldriak decided that Sagor had not been a very good boy and wished to punish him. God knows why. But that night, Gruuldriak and Sagor both had a dream of Gruuldriak's patron, the great elder god Cthulhu. Yes, you heard me right. That is one important thing that you might have missed, that uh, Gruuldriak's patron, his Cleric patron is Cthulhu. Trust me, it's not satanic or anything, and there will probably be a lot more to explain it in the future. I don't really know that much about it either. I have yet to discover more. Uh, the player himself has more to tell me. But, as the dream ensued, both of the, both of the men awoke in a dark place completely pitch black, seeming only punctured by little dots of white in the distance, what would seem to be stars. As the party, or as the two men seemed to look at each other with confusion, Gruuldriak a little bit more knowingly, Sagor more confusion, 
a massive head appeared, similar to that of an illithid of Cthulhu himself. He spoke to Gruldriak, wishing him well on his journey, but also scolding him for not spreading his rule far enough. He also questioned the appearance of Sagor, Gruldriak explaining that he wished to be punished by being given a dark and scary visage for the night. Cthulhu accepted, and with one final goodbye bidding, he absorbed both of them in his weird tendrils, which I would politely ask nobody to make fan art of. We do not need tentacle hentai in this podcast, at least not yet. So, anyways. <laughs> sorry, that really punctuated, that destroyed the ambiance, I'm sorry. I, had, I, I was thinking it, but... Anyways, so... The party awoke the next morning, seemingly refreshed and feeling good. However, Sagor awoke in a cold sweat, seemingly fearful, which was a first for him. He looked on the outside of his left arm and saw that burned in his skin was the mark of Cthulhu, an eight-tentacled head glaring in the distance. Sagor immediately rushed away from Gruldriak as fast as he could and started running around the camp like a madman. The party was unsure of what was going on until Gruldriak admitted that he might or might not have had something to do with it. The party was a little mad at Gruldriak, and Sagor was obviously quite scared of him. But eventually, the big man was calmed down, and the party was directed on their way towards Dale. This trip took several long hours, and through a few strange occurrences, including a goblin that had tried to steal their stuff, the party eventually made their way to Dale. Dale, in and of itself, was a much larger city than Redwood, a full-fledged city to be exact, with large concrete walls encircling the entire area, a bustling marketplace, and plenty of shops galore. The party was interested, though, only in talking to the king of Dale, King Richard Windrick. They walked up to the central castle and knocked on the door, asking for an audience. While the guards looked at them strangely, the king approved their audience, so long as they left their weapons behind. The king spoke with the four of them about what has happened so far in the world. Now, let me just let you... I'll give you a visualization of the king. So, now this is actually something that arose from the whole thing itself. I didn't think of this on my own, one of the players thought of this analogy. But think of Lord Farquaad. <laughs> Bear with me. Think of Lord Farquaad, okay? Um, but, you know, the height of a human, not a halfling. Uh, so tall Lord Farquaad, with a beard, a sort of short-length beard. Uh, dressed in <clears throat> all-black regal clothing, wearing a sort of weird bowl-like helmet on the head that seemed pretty big, a little too big for the cranium, and carrying a short sword at the side, as well as being really skinny and fidgety. That's about what King Windrick would look like. I'll let you imagine the rest if you've got any other details or questions about it. <laughs> 
So, despite being strange, King Windrick seemed to have a decent hold on himself and was very eager to talk to the party. Word had already begun to spread about the influence of these party members. They were about fourth level at this point. While King Windrick didn't really know anything about the crisis at hand, he did say that there was another part of Dale, called Central Dale, way off to the east, that the party could travel to. It was much bigger than the current area they were in, and they would potentially have more information. He did, however, have plenty of odd jobs for them to do, two to be specific. One of which was eliminating the cobalt problem in the sewers of the town. He noticed... The king had noticed that many of his guards had gone missing trying to eliminate it, and, in the words of the king, You look like good, strong adventurers. I'm sure you could help eliminate these problems and potentially help the guards down there. A bit transposed, but you get the point. He wanted them to basically go down and kill a bunch of kobolds who were being annoying at the sewers. <laughs> So, the party did travel down there, and they were met with a swarm of kobolds. About 60, by my estimate. Uh, through thick and thin, and some time and effort, and a lot of healing done by Kuldriak, the life cleric, the party was eventually able to annihilate, and I do mean annihilate, almost all of the kobolds, leaving only about half a dozen as well as a single king. The party was about to kill the king, but he yielded, asking them what they wanted. They all seemed a bit confused, and the king told them his story. That the kobolds were just trying to survive. They were simply living in the sewers because they weren't accepted up above. They were stealing food from up above because they were all starving. They were malnourished, as all kobolds probably are, and terribly hungry, in awful living conditions. The guards had tried to kill them, and they simply fought for self-defense. So, the party seemed to reconcile, thinking more about the reality of the situation, and decided that they would help the remaining kobolds. The party was able to sneak the rest of the kobolds out of the town through the casting of quite a few invisibility spells, and eventually release them into the forest, where they could be free to live without any control or threat of death. At least, as any kobold would normally live, which is still with quite a bit of threat of death, but we're trying to focus on the happy things here, so... <laughs> In any case, the king bid them farewell, said, you know, screw you because you killed all my friends, but still thank you for helping us. And that was the last they saw of the kobolds. The king, upon hearing that the party had finished, begrudgingly paid them 45 gold pieces each, and seemed to deny the fact that the kobolds were ever really being simply survivors, that they had been annoying and that they had been trying to harm the economy, giving us a bit of insight on who the king is. Nonetheless, the party was still willing to help out a little bit, so the king had another thing in request, to help find his wizard. Gil, a gnome. <clears throat> the king said that Gil had disappeared into the forest a few months beforehand and had been a long time since he came back. <coughs> Excuse me for my cough. The party was tasked with heading into the village and simply just looking for Gil as best they could. 
<laughs> they were really not given that much information. They traveled in the woods for probably the better part of a day before finding something interesting. A hollow stump. A completely hollow stump. Now, not just any hollow stump. They looked down it and it appeared that the hollow stump went deep into the ground. Like, they couldn't see the bottom deep. Caution was applied. Uh, Victor tried to go down first with a rope, but the rope snapped. Victor seemed to fall, and the party couldn't hear him when he fell, nor did they hear him hit any kind of bottom. As such, the party was like, well, screw it, and just all jumped in the stump to go help Victor. The party seemed to fall for a long time, almost like a bottomless pit, until eventually coming to the same place. They looked all around. The stump was still beside them. The trees were still there. The path was still there. They seemed to be in the same place, with slight differences. Like, the tripping of birds was exceptionally high and musical in key. The colors on the trees were slightly more vibrant. Accidentally, or on purpose, the party had somehow traveled into the Feywild realm. The party began searching around, assuming that Gil had been lost in this area. The party did encounter, at some point, a massive tree ant. In case you don't know, a tree ant is basically a giant living tree. They're very wise and old, but also rather slow. Through quite a bit of patience, the tree ant was able to tell them that he did see a tiny man running across the path a few hours beforehand. With a resounding, that way, the party was able to determine where Gil had went, and the tree ant went on his way. After traveling in that direction, the party found Gil hiding in a tree, screaming for help as a ferocious owlbear was scraping at the bark. Immediately, the owlbear turned upon them and began to attack them. They finished off with relative ease, as you would expect. They were about fifth level at this point now. Gil eventually got out of the tree and thanked them profusely, saying that they were heroes of his time. He tried to direct them back, but honestly had no idea and was completely lost, explaining why he had been gone for so long. However, Sildan, being the good nature boy he is, was able to direct the party back home, into the hollow stump, where they once again jumped in and were plopped back into the real world, with less vibrant colors and less vibrant birds. Very depressing. Before the party was able to return Gil to the king, Gil offered them a gift, the decanter of endless water. Basically, the decanter was very simple and worked in three different ways. If the decanter was uncorked, it would not pour out any water. However, one of three command words could be spoken. One was fountain, where a gentle stream would be produced... Or no, sorry. <laughs> stream. The first command word was stream. Fountain is a different command word. <clears throat> I'm very mixed up right now. Sorry, there's a lot to remember. But the first command word was stream. When stream was said, a small little spout of water would come out of the fountain of the decanter, creating one gallon of clear or salt water, the user's choice. The next command word was fountain, where a 
big fountain of water would spout out of the decanter, giving five gallons of either fresh or salt water. Finally, the fifth command word, the third command word, was geyser. When spoke, the decanter would produce a rushing geyser of water, basically a fire hose, producing 30 gallons of water, and also being able to knock a creature off of its feet, quite literally. So, the party was gifted with this and sent upon their way as Gil was returned to the king, a little bit begrudgingly, as the king paid the party another 40 gold. However, Sagor actually decided that he wanted something else. Instead of money, Sagor wanted a pet wolf. The king, while thinking it over a little bit, agreed to these terms. The local pet, stop, pet shop owner was brought in, and a single wolf was selected, a large male who had a, law, a big scar running from the top of his forehead down to just over the nose. The, the, the wolf was named Morgan, and Sagor cherished him wonderfully. After this, the party finished up in Dale. With the gold that Sagor had, as well as borrowing stuff from other people, he was able to purchase a great artifact, a belt of stone giant strength. When put on, it increased Sagor's strength score to 23. I was very lenient about this, and I was like, sure, go ahead, buy one, I don't care. <laughs> so, Sagor is now very strong. In any case, the party eventually finished up in Dale and did whatever they had to do in order to be done with their tasks. They're on the road right now, after just leaving Dale, and about level six is what they've reached currently. So, without further ado, that's where our story picks up. Again, I apologize that I was not able to recover more data. I really wish I could. I'm sorry, but I promise that we will continue this podcast as much as we can. And, you know, like I said, there's nothing hugely important that happened during that time we missed, but there are hugely important things coming up soon. So don't forget to listen. Uh, feel free to rate us, follow us, subscribe to us, whatever you want to do on your platform of podcast listening. Uh, as of now, we're only on like Podbean and YouTube. We're hoping to get to more platforms in the future. But um, yeah, in any case, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Traveler's Tales.